This episode of Stuck in the 80s has been brought to you by... I am the monarch of the sea. The 80s Cruise. Find out more at the80scruise.com. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we tackle a subject that each of us should know so well. It's nerd movies in the 80s. So tell me, Mitch, are you going to miss your friends? Well, no. I think I intimidated the kids. Good boy. With me as always, he was my freshman roommate back at Adams College before he transferred to Pacific Tech. It's Brad in L.A. Steve! What's going on, man? I can't believe you left me there at Adams to face uh, the alphabet. You know, the alpha betas were too much for me, man. I had to get out. We're nothing. We let them destroy our house. Lewis, we're going to control the Greek Council next year. Big deal. You'd be dead by then, Gilbert. Save yourself, man. <laughs> also joining us, uh, fresh from a tour stop with the Hong Kong Cavaliers, it's Marty Yu. Ohio gozaimasu. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Marty is the only guy on this podcast that's anywhere close to being cool enough to be in the Hong Kong Cavaliers. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was speaking... Really bad Japanese and not uh, Cantonese is what they speak in uh, Hong Kong, I believe. Well, I've See? never been to Hong Kong, but probably never will go. Um, I'm just trying to show off my nerd bona fides. <laughs> you got you it. Got it. Got it going on, brother. Now you three of show us. up with some chaps and a big old cowboy hat. Where do you hail from, Doc? Uh, New Jersey, Fort Lee. Hey, where are your spurs at? Why's <laughs> he making fun of me? So a few weeks ago, we came up with this idea. Um, because a couple of nerd movies were having anniversaries. I think it was Real Genius, wasn't it, Brad? Yeah, yeah, it just hit 30. I passed, but I failed. Yeah! Well, I'm happy and sad. <laughs> and then we realized that of all, the, of all the genre nerd movies of the 80s, we really haven't covered any of them. The only one we've really covered on the podcast so far is Weird Science. And so we're Which not... It's one of your favorite shows, right, Steve? You love that of, show. It's one of the worst shows we ever did. I don't even think we even got around to talking about what the plot was or who was in it. It was it was really bad. It was it was it was one of the ones we really phoned in. Um, so maybe we'll resurrect that in a future episode of Nerd Movies. But but today each one of us has um, chosen a movie that we hold dear to our own hearts. We're going to defend them, um, and then we'll also reveal the results of the reader poll when we ask people uh, of these three movies which ones to them was the biggest nerd movie. Seem simple enough? Put simply, in deference to you, Kent, it's like lazing a stick of dynamite. As soon as we apply a field, we couple to a state that is radiatively coupled to the ground state. Uh, I think I got it. Let me check uh-huh. the. Let me cross-check that on my pocket calculator. Yeah. No calculus required. You're 
Texas instrument. Uh, I was, I'm more of an HP guy. Oh, I, I, like had the R, I like the RPN. Did you have? Did anyone here have a, a one of the Texas Instrument calculators back in the eighties? No, I, I did, but I didn't know what eighty percent of the buttons did. I had a decent HP calculator, but that doesn't surprise you at all. Yeah, uh, and it's you know the the notation on those calculators is different. So once you get used to using them, you basically can't use any other kind of calculator again in your life. I'm with Marty. I had one of the TI ones, and it was a complete waste of money. I, I think I spent <laughs> like I think it was like eighty dollars. Yeah. It was something ridiculous, and I actually think mine had a little paper roll on it, so it would actually print out um, the answer if you wanted it to. I feel really bad for you guys, but it, but literally, I did nothing with it other than simple, simple math. I mean, my I w- my calculator, I could actually program stuff into it, and I had a little like sub hunt game that I could play on the calculator. I would uh, just type in five eight zero zero eight and turn it upside down. <laughs> hey Beavis. <laughs> so, uh, I, have to, I should probably ask this right up front. Which of any of us personally consider themselves to be a nerd in the eighties? You, you we keep going back to this like you don't know the answer already. I, I know that you did. I know that you seized it seized it. I mean I know that you wear it like a big furry coat. <laughs> <laughs> On a summer day, that's the confusion. Yeah, but but Marty, did you think of yourself as a nerd back then? You know what? I went to a school where uh, it, it was right next to Stanford University, so a lot of like the they called them Stanford rats were there. So like, and we had a terrible football team. So like academics were really sort of hailed uh, as something positive. So everyone was a nerd there, and it, oh. it, it was not a stigma at all. So it's like the Twenty One Jump Street high school from the movie. Everything's turned around already. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty. I, I was one of the dumber nerds. How's that? He <laughs> <laughs> did okay. That's not good. I I would say that with my high school, um, it was somewhat similar, other than, other than the fact we weren't next to a world class university, but athletically we were awful at everything we did, and the smart people were generally the more popular people. Now I'm not saying like the valedictorian was also the most popular person, but I would say of the top ten people in our class, like six of them were probably also in the the big click at the time. Oh, well, it's interesting because I was thinking about that this week, though. Because when Drew wrote in for the Breakfast Club show, he wrote in that he identified with the nerd character. I'm like, wait a minute! You started on the basketball team. You went to college on a basketball scholarship. You are a jock. Get off of my stereotype. But, but I, think, I think that's the genius of of John Hughes more yeah. than it it is about uh, Drew lying well, I, himself. Yeah. You're, you got you you got there before I could. The I, I think that's exactly right. I think we all self-identify that way. We all have that you know some level of insecurity that we carry around with us, and so we, you know we identify with that underdog character. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was president of the computer club, so I mean, I have. Nice. So I mean, I kind of know that I would, but then again, I was only president so that I could uh, challenge the band to tackle football games. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> a lot of confusion going on. Wow. <laughs> that sentence. There's, there's a whole short story in there somewhere. Yeah, well, it's, out. It's, it it's just wants out. I just, it's important to remember that we did win the game. Computer club <laughs> versus band. <laughs> we did tackle win. Football. Football. Yeah, was it tackle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have Ow. The, the tuba players up front? 
Thank God our band was just as bad as our athletic teams. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! It was fun. You hurt yeah. my trumpet fingers. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. So it's like I've got this kind of. We challenge you to a football game at three o'clock on the practice field. Okay, man, you bring your guys. I'll bring my guys. I, I, it was. It was. It was. A dirty game. It was like watching uh, the longest yard, but only with nerds playing. <laughs> I mean, people were tripping each other. There were cheap shots. I mean, there was a couple scuffles. I mean, it was you know. I'm... Wow. Oh God, I am so badly a nerd. This it's yeah. just now starting to hit me. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, the fact that I've been doing a podcast for ten years doesn't even remotely enter the top ten reasons that I think I was a nerd. <laughs> That's but so uh, uh, okay, let's start this out with Brad. Brad, what movie are you here to defend as one of the best nerd movies of the eighties? I'm here to defend 1985's Real Genius. You see, Mitch, I used to be you, and uh, lately I've been missing me. So I asked Hathaway if I could room with me again, and he said sure. So put all your stuff away in the bottom drawer there: shirts, pants, shoes. I had a little trouble with the sports jacket, so I threw it out. Duck. Nice reflexes. I'm Chris Knight. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Released in August of 1985, just turned 30. How I Envy It. Written by Neil Israel, Pat Proft, and Peter Torkvay. Neil Israel and Pat Proft worked together on Bachelor Party and Police Academy. <laughs> I've met Neil Israel. Really? really? He was also married to Amy Heckerling. Amy Heckerling, yeah. For like just long enough to have a kid, I think. Because uh. they were married and divorced in 1984. <laughs> and then Peter Torkvay now, or became PJ Torkvay, uh, he, she, became she, wrote for WKRP in Cincinnati. Wait a minute. So, What's his name? Peter Torkvay? It was Peter Torkvay. She, he was transgender and became PJ Torque. Oh, okay. So I was, I thought it was some sort of pig Latin thing on Peter Torque or the monkeys or something. No, no. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Directed by anyone, anyone, Martha Coolidge, who you might remember from Valley Girl. Yes, yes. And starring Val Kilmer after he was skeet surfing. Martin, boy, am I glad to see you. I've been here twenty minutes already. But before he was shooting down Russians. You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. Uh, Gabe Jarrett. This is probably his highest profile thing he's done. Although he has worked pretty consistently for the last 20, 30 years. And Michelle Mayrink, who also is in Valley Girl. And I think might show up again in this podcast. Do you guys remember this movie? Did you see this movie then? Have you seen it since? I saw it in theaters. I remember at the time. And I didn't... I guess I had seen top secret at that point okay um so i kind of knew who val kilmer was or it just wasn't i, I remember going to this movie not having any expectations whatsoever just okay I, it's it's a movie i need something to do it's a friday night right i mean uh, i think it did okay at the box office it wasn't like a giant hit but i don't yeah. think it lost money either it was you know probably cost about 30 dollars to make yeah but that being said I, I loved it from the very first time i saw it it's a great movie. I saw it in the theaters, and I think it was the same thing coming off of Top Secret. And uh, yeah, it was. It's. It spoke to me. Self-realization. I was thinking of the immortal words of Socrates, who said, "I drank what." <laughs> <laughs> of the movies that we're going to talk about today, or the college movies that we're going to talk about today, I think it is 
maybe a little more accurate to the uh, you know engineering physics college reality, although definitely uh, blown up a little bit. I don't know anybody that ever reassembled a Citron in someone else's room. But then again, I didn't go to Caltech, so. <clears throat> hey, Ken. That's your car. But Ken, you know you're not supposed to park that on campus. Just very quickly, if you haven't seen it, the plot rundown is Mitch Taylor, played by uh, Jared, Gabe Jarrett, is recruited to come to this prestigious uh, university to work on this laser project by uh, classic 80s villain William Atherton, uh, who plays the professor. Uh, just so smarmy it's fantastic uh, and this you know this recruit he's 15 so he's young and he's a little fish out of water and val kilmer is the established uh, physics student kind of slacker of the month if you will who takes him under his wing and you know hijinks ensue well he was i mean essentially he was mitch he was right. he was the original mitch he came into to pacific tech you know at age 15 or 16 as the young stud yeah. and you know was primed to become a nerd then decided that you know he could do anything he wanted to do you know that right. pe- people society needs brains there's more to it than than that yeah so yeah it's great some great supporting roles um laszlo uh, the guy that lives in the closet was played by john grease who's probably best known as uncle rico from napoleon dynamite hey laszlo oh that's me Hello. I've been watching you. Thanks. Well, I thought you might need some help with the test, so I dug into the computer and got every question Hathaway's ever asked on every final he's ever given. Gee, I... I didn't get you anything. Are those they? No. These are entries into the Frito-Lay sweepstakes. No purchase necessary enter as often as you want, so I am. That's great. How many times? Well, this batch makes it 1,650,000. I should win 32.6% of the prizes, including the car. The concept of just a guy living in, you know, behind your closet was just so inventive to me. I love that. Yeah. Was it, wasn't that based on something that was somewhat true, though? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the Caltech and really, I think, all the schools out here have these big steam tunnel networks. I, I know I just read something the other day about the whole... Um, Somebody had automated a way to enter sweepstakes. Oh yeah, that I'm I'm sure that happened. That that was actually really funny. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this: If you guys were 15 years old again, and you guys were geniuses, and you had the chance to go to, to start college at age 15, would you have done it? I probably would have, because I probably had would have this false notion that it would make me more interesting and popular, you know, because just that regular. Yeah, insecurity. At, at that point, I probably would have. Yeah, that sounds about right, Marty. I would have probably believed my own press clippings and said, "Yeah, f- bring it. Let's do this thing." Yeah, yeah. I, and just like walking down the campus, like, "Hey, I'm a 15 year old like <laughs> freshman, and no one paying me any mind." Yeah, right. Hey, kid, give me back the frisbee. Yeah, <laughs> and then not, not not being able to throw it back. Yeah, and then like it ends up in the trees someplace. <laughs> nice going, nerd. <laughs> I, I think it's a trick question in some regards because it's hard not to answer it with today's perspective. In my mind today, I would never have done anything to rob myself from the last two years I had of high school, which were phenomenal and full of lots of great memories. Right. But if, but take me back to the 15-year-old version of me. 
and and having no idea what college is going to be like, yeah, I probably I probably would do it, and then but I would immediately regret it, just like Mitch does. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think watching that movie was like a cautionary tale for me. Of like, <laughs> you know what, Marty, you, you should stay in high school. Yeah, because because <laughs> he gets the nerd mechanical engineering girl. Yeah, and that was what Michelle Mayrick. Yeah. Right? What what happened to her? Do you- she gave up acting and and adopted the philosophies of Zen Buddhism. The two are are mutually exclusive. Apparently, to young Michelle Mayrink, yes. <laughs> and this was in the this happened in like the late eighties, I think. Mm. And this was post. This is this movie is post Valley Girl. Yeah, so she's already been. She's not Stacy. She's uh, no, she's um, uh, the girl. That likes the guy with, with the promiscuous with mom, the, with the mom and the Mrs. Robinson. And God, you know my brain's gone if I can't remember all the main characters in Valley Girl anymore. What's her name? And and what's his name? Yeah, and she was in Revenge of the Nerds too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh she, man, yeah, she kind of you know, fills out the bingo board fairly well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There was a really interesting article a couple of weeks ago. It was about the around the anniversary. This woman who had been a who was a female student at Caltech when they were making this movie, they interviewed her. She she um, had been called in to meet with the producers and with uh, Martha Coolidge to talk about what her life was like. And she's like, "Yeah, I came to this meeting. I was wearing a sweater that I had knit that night overnight, <laughs> you know." And it's just all this stuff about how she was an inspiration for the character. That's that is funny. so funny. It's pretty funny. We, we, we obviously we can't talk about real genius without talking. I mean, Martha Coolidge was the director. Who you know also directed Valley Girl. So we see a a wonderful cameo in my mind from Deborah Foreman, and best yet, line in the whole movie. Yeah, she has this line, which is the best line in the whole movie. Have you ever seen a body like this before in your life? She happens to be my daughter. Oh, well then I guess you have. No, seriously, listen. If there's ever anything I can do for you, or more to the point, to you, you let me know, okay? Can you hammer a six-inch spike through a board with your penis? Not right now. A girl's got to have her standards. I mean, obviously, I, I'm totally in love with Deborah Foreman, but um, if you had to remove one storyline from this movie, this might be the storyline you could kind of take out. Yeah. Do you think there was more there that just didn't get into the yeah the theatrical release? Yeah. I got to believe that because it's a very glancing cameo. Like yeah, it doesn't yeah. There's no real there's no real support for it. It just it, well, I, I mean, it seems like. Um, Martha Coolidge is the type of director who hired people that she worked with before. Yeah, and so she probably was like, "Oh, I, you know, I'll put you in my movie." You know, right? Yeah. I got a role for you. It's a yeah. small yeah. one, but hey, come on down. I, I bet it was a bigger role because it just doesn't make any sense as is. Yeah, so that's cool. So the, <laughs> the, you uh, just want more Deborah Foreman. <laughs> well, yeah. sure. So we watched this with my kids when we hit the anniversary last month. I I basically got home that night and said, good news, guys. Movie night. We're watching my movie. Here we go. And my daughter looks at me. She's like, why do we always have to watch these 80s movies? (laughs) But but then she sits and enjoys it. She sat and watched it. And they both thought, both my son and daughter thought it was pretty funny. I mean, I... It's so taps into, like, your adolescence and just, like, you know, if you were smart, you would want to create a big, you know, slide in your... Dorm room, you know, yeah. your hallway, and you would want to, you know, microwave popcorn in some your enemy's house. You know, it's, yeah. it's perfect for that. So it's, you know, they had to pop popcorn for three months solid to get that much popcorn made. <laughs> I did not know that. That's great. Yeah, um, I, I will say this is one of the timeless movies. I mean, 
it, yeah. it's the humor stands up today. There's nothing in, in it that's real dated. I mean, there's there's it has a good soundtrack, but it's not one of those soundtracks where you're like, oh god, this has got to be an '80s movie. Yeah, the the government is still trying to come up with new ways to assassinate people. Yeah, it's actually yeah. it's all right there. <laughs> I love that scene in the like in the the very beginning where they have the the promo trailer for the. Project Crossbow, and they show the guy getting vaporized, and like the servant turns around to make him a drink or something. He turns back, and it's like the just the wicker chair is on fire. The guy's just completely vaporized. Scanner on. Target locked. Tracking locked. Roger. It? That's it. Hold it right there. Crossbow Project. There's no defense like a good offense. Mission accomplished. The special effects are kind of crappy and dated, but the humor is still there. Yeah. And I think it's one of my favorite roles of Val Kilmer. You know, like, I don't think he really shined as a a leading man, even though, you know, he's a great actor and, and was handsome back then. But, like, he was, like, the perfect sort of mentor character yeah i don't know if you guys saw kiss kiss bang bang with uh, robert downey jr no Did you guys see that one no, no. Uh, but he plays a, a sort of a similar character and, and he gets all the fun jokes you know okay and uh i think it, it really suits him you know if you think that by threatening me you can get me to be your slave well that's where you're right but and i'm only saying this because i care there are a lot of decaffeinated brands on the market today that are just as tasty as the real thing. Yeah. Uh, great pick, Brad. So, Marty, you're up. What is your favorite nerd movie of the 80s? Real G- uh, No, The Adventures <laughs> of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. We have created a device called an oscillation overthruster, which systematically uh, reorders matter by uh, annihilating electrons... Positrons. Oh, I get it. What you're saying is that oppositely charged particles collide and blow each other up in a burst of energy. Like a tiny big bang, like a, 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 a baby bang. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm probably just uh, stating the very obvious. Shut up, Penny. No, 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 it's not obvious at all. If it was obvious, everybody would be doing it every day. See, by all accounts, it appears as though I literally went right through a mountain. But you could take that mountain and pulverize it and sift through it like breadcrumbs for the rest of your natural life. So this movie was directed by W.D. Richter and written by Earl Mac Rausch. It came out in 1984 in the summer, and it was a huge bomb. It okay. Was, it like, <laughs> yeah, it cost like, uh, like $16 million to make and only made $6 million in the box office. Ooh. Yeah, but you know there are a lot of issues around that. It was the summer of the 84 Olympics, and that was a huge draw and also it's a batshit crazy movie it kind of is yeah kind of is yeah so the basic plot is um there's this fellow named bakuru banzai who's born to a uh japanese physicist and uh, uh jamie lee curtis played his mom but she was cut out oh i don't remember that okay well she was she was cut out but oh, you can boy. you can see a clip of her and on youtube okay um and then he's like 
the head of this the Banzai Institute, and he has a band called the uh, Hong Kong the Cavaliers. Hong Kong Cavaliers, and he's a neurosurgeon. He's a particle physicist. He's a race car driver, and he's a comic book hero. There are comic books written about him, so it, it's very much a comic book movie, even though. At the time, there were no comic books of Buckaroo Banzai. And basically, he travels to the eighth dimension in this truck, and then these aliens try to take his uh, the, the technology used to um, get to the eighth dimension to, to take over the world. And then they're good aliens, and then they're bad aliens from the tenth planet. And all the aliens are named John. You've got John uh, Emdahl, John Parker, John O'Connor, John Gomez... And then John Big Boutet. But O'Connor smashed the window. Why me, John Big Boutet? What about John Smallberries? Oh, yes, and John Smallberries. John Smallberries. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I had to pause and laugh uh, for that. Yeah. So, so which of us saw this in the theater? Oh, I definitely I saw it at the Old Mill 6. Did you really? I'm sure yeah. I didn't see this in the theater. I don't think I saw this until I was in college. So. Oh, I, man. I did see it in the theater, and I remember just sitting there going, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> I, I've, I don't know that I've ever been so confused and disappointed and dumbfounded. I was confused and thrilled. And one one thing about the movie is it puts you right into it. Just starts. Yeah, just they don't, goes, there's not a lot of exposition. There's, there's no backstory. Like there's the famous scene where they're walking through the Bonsai Institute. And there's like this giant machine with, you know, these metal things coming together. And there's a watermelon in the middle. I think it's Jeff Goldblum. He says, well, what's with the watermelon? And then the guy goes, oh, I'll tell you later. And they never get to it. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the entire movie. It's like non sequiturs, things just coming out of nowhere. And you either go with it or you don't. I've, I've seen it a few times now, you know, with other people who were big fans of it. And... I guess it's one of those movies that kind of with, with me he got better with time because I, I can watch it now and I can laugh at it. Um, I don't think I understood what a campy movie was when I saw it originally. I didn't understand the idea, the, the style of humor. And I don't know how much of it was intentional either. But um, I will say well, it's one of the more quotable. Of, of the three movies that we're going to honor today, I could probably pick 50 great quotes from Buckaroo Banzai. And maybe a handful from the other two movies. Go on. <laughs> What's your favorite, Steve? Uh, oh, please don't make me do this. Oh, like, you can't. You can't just make boom, a boom headshot. I, yeah. Well, well I'm, 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 okay. Here, I'll, I'll use them. No matter as where quotes. you go, there you are. I'll use them as quotes. I'll just I'll pull movie quotes here. Hey, how about this one? We have a chance. You overfussed us with shit. Oh, rules. One more word out of your big booty. Big booty. Or maybe this one. Aliens from the eighth dimension. I'm seeing them now. You can see them now. Yeah. Here are the three jerks driving this van. Or maybe this one. My most profuse apologies to my homeland and loved ones. John Baluk is dead. He fell on his head. <laughs> see? I want people to know that you're doing this. <laughs> Um, no, it's very funny. Uh, John Lithgow was interviewed, I think it was the 25th anniversary, um, and it was in New York, uh, and it was John Lithgow, uh, Peter Weller, 
being interviewed by Kevin Smith. And oh my gosh, um, it's it's a great it's a great great uh, Q and A. And John Lithgow says that like of all the movies he's done, when he walks down the street, the biggest thing that people yell at him is you know laugh a while you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> And yeah, like, I have to think it was so much fun to play that role. Well, it's it's his, that so he plays um, a physicist who is somehow uh, was sent to the eighth dimension, or his head was. Yeah, it sort of drove him crazy, and he became Lord John Warfin. But he's got this crazy Italian accent, and just completely over the top. You know, he talks about it with just great um, affection. Yeah, and basically there was a. It, Fox was the uh, the studio that agreed to make it, and there was a a tailor there who was an Italian guy, and John Lithgow would just go up to him with a recorder and say, "How would you say this line?" Oh no, you're kidding! <laughs> yeah, and he because of that he demanded that um, the tailor got a dialect coach uh, credit. Oh really? Oh my god! Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And so, you know, he said that while he was making the movie, he thought it was going to be as big as Star Wars. Really? <laughs> yes. I'm sure they thought the same when they were making the first Dune movie. So, Yeah. Uh, and then Peter Weller, when he first read the script, he, he said he couldn't finish it, I think. And then he just he didn't know what to make of it. And it wasn't until he, he met the, uh, the writer and director that um, he really understood it. And the writer, Mac Richter, he had been living with this character for years and had written like, you know, dozens of like, who would start a script, get 30 pages in, and then, and which is why this is really nerdy, by the way. And then, um, and then eventually they got some money together and he wrote uh, several drafts of, of what was the movie. And then he also included with the script a 300 page book called the essential buckaroo, which had all the notes and all the incomplete scripts and all the backstory. And so that's what they used to make the movie, which is why the movie is so, even though you don't get a lot of backstory, it's complete. There's a ton of stuff in there though. Exactly. Like the blue blazer regulars. Yeah. And I think it was ahead of its time. It was very multicultural. The special effects were not great, but uh, I mean, it's the eighties. I, I sort of give a pass on, Special effects in the eighties, because I mean, you know, let's be realistic here. So I almost kind of like it when they're almost horrifically outdated. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one exception is Ghost. Ghost, I can't watch the special effects, and they're so terrible. But Peter Weller was cast as Buckaroo Banzai, this this sort of jack of all trades, and the irony is that. Peter Weller kind of is a jack of all trades. <laughs> in addition to being an actor, like there's this like very uh, cheesy sort of band number, and that's where you get this the the line, you know, wherever you, what is it? Where no matter where you go, there, there you, you are. are. He plays trumpet in it, and that's him playing trumpet. That's him playing guitar. That's him singing. It's not him playing piano, but he did all the other things. Oh yeah, which is pretty. Uh, That's impressive. pretty good. Yeah, and and in the past couple of years, he got his PhD in Italian Renaissance history. So. Show off, seriously? Yes. Come on, he's a jerk. Leave something for the rest of us. <laughs> <Yeah. it>, huh? <laughs> was this post? <clears throat> was this pre or post RoboCop? Oh, this is pre. Pre. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was probably his biggest role uh, up until then. Like he had had some 
things and uh, he did some theater and then did stuff uh, more dramatic stuff and I think this was his first wasn't he in the jam oh no that's a different guy uh, he was in Shoot the Moon. I think that was the biggest. Oh, and he was in Butch and Sundance, the early years. Jeez. Um, I, I can honestly say I don't know that I like any of his. I, it's not. I don't think it's personal to him, but most of the stuff he's ever appeared in are not my favorite movies. Really? You don't like RoboCop? No. <gasps> what don't really? you like about RoboCop? Oh. We're doing RoboCop. No, we're not you know doing it. We're going to do it without you then. I, yeah. I'll be there. I'll, no, I'll be there. I'll just I'll phone it in the, like I did for some of the early shows. Like the, Heather's. Like Heather's and... Fashion in the eighties. Oh gosh, Let's, oh, God. that that show doesn't exist in my universe. <laughs> oh God, people criticize me for the VGF shows. They really should be criticizing me for the fashion in the eighties one. That I should never let that one get out the door. You were young. You try anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, I did. Okay, it's time to uh, bring out the heavy artillery. So um, here's my pick for the uh, best nerd movie of the eighties. I give you 1984's Revenge of the Nerds. Uh. I just wanted to, to say that, that I'm a nerd. And I'm here tonight to stand up for the rights of other nerds. I mean, uh, all our lives, we've been laughed at and made to feel inferior. And, and tonight, those bastards, they trashed our house. Why? Because we're smart? Because we look different? Well, we're not. I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Hi, Gilbert. I'm a nerd, too. I just found that out tonight. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. So Revenge of the Nerds was a summer movie back in 1984. Uh, As we all know from our homework, it stars... Robert Carradine and Anthony Edwards as Louis Skolnick and Gilbert Lowe, two new freshmen at the fictional Adams College who are displaced from their dorm after the fraternity known as the Alpha Betas burn it to the ground. Robert Carradine, anyone, uh, can anyone name a non-Revenge of the Nerds role for him? Uh, wasn't he in Johnny Got His Gun? I think he was. Right. He was. Um, he's in the Big Red One. I he's in that. the Big Red One. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. This is I actually kind of his. Yeah, I love that movie. If you, I mean, we haven't done our World War II movies of the '80s podcast yet. That's because you hate the past <laughs> represented in the past. Uh, well, you don't well, like but, westerns. You don't like movies that are set in the '50s and the '80s. I don't like. Yeah, I like war yeah. movies, generally okay. speaking. So, uh, yeah, he started in Bonanza back in 1971. Um, did he really? Oh, wow. <laughs> he did uh, Big Red One in 1980. Um, after this movie, aside from the sequels to this movie, the only thing he kind of appeared in was um, Just the Way You Are with Kristen McNichol. Um, he's one of the trackers you'll see in Django Unchained a couple years ago. Okay. Uh, last year, he was in the sci-fi movie Sharktopus versus Terracuda. <laughs> so... <laughs> The That's bills the don't name ever. <laughs> the bills don't pay themselves, you know. Yeah. You're not wrong, Marty. You're not wrong. Sci-fi, I'm laughing sci-fi. at the name. I'm not laughing that he took the gig. You book the gig, man. You, you know, work is work. Yeah. So Anthony Edwards. Um, obviously, we know what he did 
after Revenge of the Nerds, can anyone name a pre-Nerds movie for Anthony Edwards? What was the one that where he it was like the the Holocaust was coming and he got a phone call at a payphone. Anybody? Oh, oh. the nuclear. Uh, it's not Miracle Mile. Is it, it is Miracle Mile. That was after that, wasn't it? Oh, it, it was after that. But oh my gosh, I've forgotten about that movie. That was a good movie. I like uh, that. The other pick you could have given was he's one of the stoner buds of Spicoli and Fast oh, Times. Right. Oh, he right. has Uno Nicola. Remember. After this, he would do uh, Sure Thing, uh, Top Gun, and How I Got Into College, all in the 80s. Don't forget, uh, Gotcha. Yeah, I love Gotcha. Oh, I love Gotcha. That's a, that's awesome. Done by the same guy who directed uh, Revenge of the Nerds, by the way, just so you know. What's it really? I didn't yep, know that. Yep, yep, yep. Great supporting cast in this one, too. And I think this is what makes this such a great movie. You have Timothy Busfield uh, as Arnold Poindexter, which just still baffles me when I see him because I mean, it doesn't look anything like him. I mean, as someone who's watched West Wing like 300 times, you know, it's just kind of cool to see to see Danny Kincaid as Arnold Poindexter. Wait, wait, no, no, wait. Would you rather live in the ascendancy of a civilization or during its decline? Poindexter, do you want to f*** or not? (laughs) Curse Armstrong as Dudley Booger Dawson. Great role for him. Oh, like he probably gets called Booger like twice a day. Uh, Excuse please, but why do they call you Booger? I don't know. You could probably argue that this is his most famous character. Um, In reality, he did not want the part. He told uh, fellow actor Bronson Pinchot that if he was offered the role, quote, they could just f***ing forget it. I'm not picking my nose on camera for anyone. This just in. Cut to. (laughs) Yeah. Money talks and walks. Uh, You got John Goodman as Coach Harris, the football coach. When you were a baby in your crib, your father looked down at you. He had but one hope. Someday my son will grow to be a man. Well, look at you now. You just got your asses whipped. By a bunch of goddamn nerds. Nerds! That's probably the first time I ever saw him. Probably the first time I ever yeah. saw him, too. Yeah. Uh, and then James Cromwell as uh, Mr. Skolnick. I did not know that. He's That's credited right. as Jamie Cromwell. Little Jimmy Cromwell. Trying not to break too many hearts, I'll lose. That hasn't been a real problem yet, Dad. Oh, come on. You're going to make some lucky girl very happy. You're smart, easygoing. Get your father's good looks. <laughs> and you got a great sense of humor. Some of the weird things about this movie, a lot of this movie was ad-libbed. A lot of it. A lot of the best jokes are completely ad-libbed. Yeah. When the coach goes, ah, oh, shit, we forgot to practice. Ad-libbed. <laughs> <laughs> when they uh, take all the jock straps um, and pour uh, the icy hot icy on hot, it. Icy hot, yeah. And they say, oh, salad. Uh, <laughs> ad-libbed the dean having allergies ad-libbed poindexter screaming um and then having a girl grab his crotch during the party totally ad-libbed that so, just happens you know yeah, that's yeah. just part of life and on top of everything else uh, robert carradine and anthony edwards the their speeches during the homecoming scene completely improvised really yeah so wow that's a lot of trust yeah, it is a lot of trust but i think it was kind of one of those situations where like the framework where the movie was there but like yeah it was missing some of the really great laughs. And so I think they just kind of like let the actors 
do what they had to do and do their thing. Did you guys see it in the theater? I'm pretty sure I did. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw it. Yeah, I saw it in Northridge actually. Man, you remember where? I'm amazed. I don't have that kind of memory for. Well, that, I just remember because there were there were sexy things in it, and I was there with my family. So. <laughs> oh, the awkward. Oh, yeah. Deeply. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. Well, I can always just assume that every movie I saw, I saw a Countryside Six because that was the only Cineplex that was near us. So, I was watching a scene of it just before the podcast started, um, the panty raid scene, and uh, <laughs> I, I love how it has like that early '80s. Uh, nudity, you know, where the girls don't have surgically enhanced bodies yet. <laughs> yeah. And so you have like realistic breasts and stuff like that. You know, it just, you look at it now, it seems so out in left field. There's part of it. Yeah. And then the other part of it is like, wait, they installed cameras in the house. Um, you know, what's the jail time on that these days? <laughs> oh, with silencers on their drills, which don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the stuff, right? That, that's the whole the whole movie is the dumb, you know. We invented this thing joke. Here, take this pill; it will counteract the effects of the alcohol. If that was available, <laughs> the climax of the movie takes place at the at that uh, homecoming the uh, fa- yeah, homecoming fair, Greek right. festival and, homecoming fair. Yeah, and there's the the scene where Robert Carradine he takes on the costume of is it Ted McGinley? Is that yeah. yes, yes, and has sex with the. Julie Montgomery, or Julia Montgomery, I think right, it is. On the uh, moonwalk. On the moonwalk. On the moon. Oh, Stan. That was wonderful. He did things to me you've never done before. <gasps> You're that nerd. Yeah. Oh, God, you were wonderful. Thanks. <sighs> Are all nerds as good as you? Yes. Because all jocks think about is sports. All we ever think about is sex. Back then, as an inept teenager, you're just like, oh, you know. Yeah, that could happen, sure. That could happen. But then, of course, from an adult's perspective, you're like, oh, that's kind of rapey. <laughs> kind of rapey. <laughs> kind of rapey. Kinda, that's the kinda definition rapey. of rape, actually. So t- does that at all cloud your your appreciation of it? I'm, I'm the guy who defends cinema's fire. So you're going to ask me whether you think this movie's kind of rapey? Steve Spears supports rape. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, I... Okay. Um, but only in 80s movies. Only in 80s, yeah. Um, you know, I... Gosh, you, you re- I really should say yes, it bothers me, but it doesn't. And I don't... I'm not rapey. Fiction. I'm not... No, rapey. you're not. And But it is fiction, but it is this, like, weird... It taps so into strange, this yeah. weird thing. So I, I'm very conflicted about it. Yeah, I mean, the whole movie's kind of cartoony. Let's face it. Right, I right. just kind of write it off as that. So, right when Rambo kills people, you know, you don't go around killing people. So, right, exactly. So, uh, Revenge of the Nerds spawned um, three sequels. Oh, really? Yeah, um, Revenge of the Nerds Two: Nerds in Paradise came out, and right? that's and that's where Anthony Edwards took a very graceful bowing out, like, yeah. "Oh, I hurt my leg." Yeah, I can't oh, I can't come to Fort Lauderdale with you. It has it has a great Sorry. <laughs> it has there's there's nothing memorable about Revenge of the Nerds 2 except for two things it ha- it features um the guy who played Josh Lyman in West Wing he comes on and plays uh, a role in this movie and um it has another musical number just like uh Revenge of the Nerds does where um the the nerds are all staying at the hotel Coral 
uh, Coral Essex, and they the way they they rearrange the neon and the signs so that it spells hot oral sex. Sweet. Um, but there's also then the other two movies were were TV movies. There was Revenge of the Nerds three, The Next Generation, and Revenge of the Nerds four, Nerds in Love. So only th- only characters to appear in every film are Lewis, Mister Skol- Mister Skolnick, actually uh, Lamar and Booger. Wow! Wow! So much for not picking your nose on camera. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you want to talk about. As opposed to your movies, you want to talk about a lasting impression for Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, due to the influence of uh, nerds starting their own fraternity, several real-life chapters of Lambda 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 have actually sprung up around the country. Right now, today, there's, there are six chapters of Lambda 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 uh, in Connecticut, Maryland, New York, and Washington. And just like in the movie, the Trilams do not discriminate based on race, gender, religion, class, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Good for them. Clap your hands, everybody, and everybody clap your hand. We lambda, 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 and Omega Moon. And we've come here on stage tonight to do our show for you. We got a rock and rhythm and a high-tech sound that'll make you move your body down to the ground. We got Poindexter on the violin, and Lewis and Gilbert will be joining in. We got Booga Presley on the mean guitar, and a rap by little old me, Lamar. We got well, I will say that of all you know, all three movies that we're talking about, had very mixed casts. Um, and so that gives them all some nerd credibility. Yeah. Do you think, here's, you ask, you ask about the rapiness of mm-hmm. Revenge of the Nerds, Marty. I have to ask you this. Um, Takashi, uh, the Takashi character in here, is he more racially insensitive than um, Getty Watanabe in 16 Candles? Uh, I think they're, I mean, they're cut from similar cloth, but I think that Takashi sort of redeems himself uh, a little bit more. And uh, he's less of a focus, I think. He's more of a token than... than uh, than Getty Watanabe, but um, he does have his redemption. Well, he is playing the violin, isn't he? No, that's Poindexter. So no no Suzuki lessons there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I was less bothered by this because it's also a much more cartoonish movie. And I think when yeah. everybody is elevated to caricature status, uh, and my problem with Sixteen Candles is it's like him and the exchange student are really like the most cartoonish ones. Yeah, um, yeah. So while you're talking about rapiness, this just occurred to me. <laughs> rapiness, rapiness episode. Rapiness, yeah. Never, never thought this episode know, would this go this a very direction. Special episode of Real Genius. <laughs> so in Real Genius, it's implied that um, the 15 year old and Jordan hook up. Yeah. Well, my you don't see you don't see them in bed. No, or but my kids were both like my my daughter actually was grossed out. She's like, wait. He's 15. What just happened? Okay, so what? And, and I just talked about this last night. And then this is a little bit off subject. But what did your kids think of Big, the movie? We haven't seen. Oh, because that is you know you've There's got moment there, yeah, a 13 year old Josh in a 30 year old body like hooking up with Elizabeth Perkins. And like, there's no, uh, no there's question no, about no what, question. Yeah. Of, yeah. And like, you know, that's, that's where Tom Hanks became America's sweetheart. Like, <laughs> <laughs> jeez, uh, that's, that's a really good point. 
a few weeks ago when we were preparing the show, we asked I put a reader poll out on our Facebook page and I asked people to pick their favorite uh nerd movie of the eighties. I gave them four choices. I don't know why I did this. I think it I think I was I think I was thinking we'd have another host in another movie. So how it broke down, uh Revenge of the Nerds got forty one percent of the vote. Real Genius got thirty five. Can't Buy Me Love got twenty four percent. And Buckaroo Banzai got zero. That's just sad. I didn't get the email. Um, <laughs> you didn't know to stuff the ballot box? Yeah. Um, no. That is such a disappointment. That is that is wrong. I, yeah, because really, Buckaroo Banzai, in some ways, like the nerds are ascendant in that movie. Yes. Right. Well, actually, they are kind of in Real Genius, too. Yeah. Yeah, both both those movies, but and so I think it's just a comparison. It's I think it's p- people haggling over the vocabulary and not, you know, taking well, into consideration. Only fifteen people have probably seen Buckaroo Banzai in the last year too. So that's true. Good but point. I also think that Buckaroo Banzai like had some really nerdy thoughts that went into it. You know, when they talk about interdimensional travel, like there's very vague roots in actual physics, um, but. You know, some thought went into it as opposed to weird science where you're like, oh, just put, <laughs> put some pictures of put, into put a Barbie computer. Barbie up to it. Right. And you end up with, you know, sentience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what happens when I stick uh, more content into a podcast? You know what I get? The studies. Ah, the mystical refrain of reader mailbag. Uh, we have a letter this week that um, we couldn't resist reading because it comes from our good friend Carol Jansen. It's a cry for help. Steve. It's a cry for help, and we're always here to help. So, uh, we Brad, love you, Carol, Brad, read the letter. Okay, Carol writes. Obviously, in great distress. I need to ask Eighties Nation and you, my best Eighties friends, for some help. I can't remember when I had my last day off, and I've put in long hours every day for a big conversion at work. It's been a success, but I'm all out of adrenaline. I need some 80s motivation. Do you have a list of your favorite 80s feel-good songs? Songs that get you going? Songs that energize, make you feel happy, and put you in a good mood? I look for a podcast on this. Hmm, strangely. We haven't done that one yet, Steve. It must be the Eeyore in you. Uh, But it didn't jump out at me. Is there one? Can you ask your people, our people, to give me some suggestions? I'm really hurting here, and since I don't drink coffee, I need to pour a big steaming cup of 80s goodness. Thanks, Carol Jansen. Wow, yeah. Um, hmm, no, we have not done a podcast on this. I did back a few years ago. I'll tell you the date. Oh, my God, 2008. I did a blog item. Oh, my God. A series of blog I did the 80 happiest songs of the 80s. Did you uh, have a ghostwriter do those for you? No, yeah. no. Back then, it was easier to do these because, I mean, I took reader suggestions and I added up votes and stuff like that, and so I came up with it. So, um but I'll, I'll hold off my list and let you guys pipe in with some of your uh, own suggestions. My suggestion, my suggestion would be to just watch on YouTube the Rocky IV uh, training montages. Rocky three too, and Rocky three, yeah. Just watch, watch them back to back, and that'll get you pumped up. Um, aside from that, I would listen to the first Go Go's album. Oh, that's a good, oh, that's that's a good pick. pick yeah. What about you, Brad? 
I threw her some singles the other day. Um, actually, I just re-listened to the our first and last songs of the '80s. So I sent her "Waiting for a Star to Fall" uh, by Boy Meets Girl. That's peppy. Uh, "Hypnotize Me" by Wang Chung. Um, "Secret Messages" by ELO. Uh, "King of the Mountain" by Midnight Oil, and "I'm the Man" by Joe Jackson. That's that's from the '70s. Is it fine? Out. Out. Get out okay, of here. Then I'll replace that with Scorpios by Adam Ant. Jeez. Do you know that? Okay, can I just say one very quick thing? Buckaroo Banzai, Peter Weller said that he based the character on Jacques Cousteau and Adam Ant. Excuse me, uh, is someone out there not having a good time? Well, there's, there's, <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. That explains That's everything. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did, I, I've called up my list of the top 10. Um, and I'm going to also, so let's see what I said back in 2008. Number 10, Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes. Number 9, In a Big Country by Big Country. Number 8, Vacation by the Go-Go's. Number 7, Magic by the Cars. Number 6, Our House by Madness. Uh, Number 5, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. These are are not exactly off the beaten path, I will admit. (laughs) Uh, Number 4, Jump by Van Halen. Oh, yeah. Uh, number three, Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. Uh, number two, Wouldn't It Be Good by Nick Kershaw. And number one. That's a happy song? Sure, why not? That people voted for it. I didn't put it there by itself. Uh, okay, okay. Number one, new song by Howard Jones. Oh, yeah. Howard Jones. Hojo. Hojo so uplifting. Yeah. Well, we talked about When I talked to him... Uh, it's probably been five years now. When I when I interviewed him, I specifically asked him, you know, your songs are brighter than most of the competitions. Yeah, what's time. your deal? And he basically <laughs> said, I didn't see the point of dragging people down with my music. I just want to, you know, I want to be optimistic and peppy. So, oh, I would add uh, Men at Work's Cargo. The whole album is... Oh, yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah. I would not recommend that you listen to anything that has the word vacation in it because I'm pretty sure Carol hasn't had a day off in about six weeks. So that might she may just snap and run out of the place. <laughs> I, have, I haven't been on vacation since this year yet. So Well, she hasn't had a day off. Like She's Why? been in the office every day. Wait, so. but Steve, isn't your job taking vacations? No. Well, you travel sometimes. I mean, I, maybe I go on two trips a year, though. Oh, so okay. that's about it. So let's help out Carol. Um, send your suggestions for happy songs of the 80s or feel-good songs, however you want to define it, to sit80s at gmail.com. And then tune into future shows to find out which ones we feature on the podcast. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Um, you know the drill. We'll play a clip from a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, you enter the drawing for the Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Pay Ooh. attention. Here's our clip from our last show. What I write in my book is my business. That's Matthew Broderick in Biloxi Blues. I knew that. I did too. I was really happy. A lot of people thought it was Glory. Ah. And I said, I, th- I think that everyone knew it was Matthew Broderick. I think people had, and everyone kind of figured it was a historic movie. So that kind of narrows it down a little bit. Uh, Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Dan in Omaha, Ralph in Clearwater, Florida, David Binock. Tom, I eat green berets for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry. In Austria, Keith Nettles, Reed Reed Sturdivant, sorry, Reed, Ryan the Pirate in Nashville, and proud owner of the pirate movie on DVD, and Tim in Media PA. 
Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Not even dark out and he's out of his skull. Well, he's been working awfully hard, you know. If you know it, email us at sitas at gmail.com or steven the 80s or brad in the 80s at gmail.com. Ah, the mystical refrain of Nate in the 80s tune. Hey, you know the deal here. We'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s. And if you can get it right, again, you're entered into the contest for the bottle opener. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. That's Time Stand Still by Rush. No surprise here. Um, 98% of the people who got this right are men. Dudes. All of them. <laughs> there were two females who got it right. Amazing. So They were Barbie dolls. Oh. Hang on. Well, you, know that, like, you know that's a thing? Like They would put Barbie dolls on the stage because no women would show up at the concerts. Oh, that's right. So then people would come up and bring Barbie dolls. Yep. I've never seen a girl at a Rush concert. I've never taken a girl to a Rush concert. I've seen them, but I don't take them. I've never uh, been to a Rush concert. Go ahead, Brad. Read some winners and take a deep yep. breath because you're going to have – you're going to need this. Before Rush Nation comes down on me, it's just not my thing, man. It's okay. Go see them. It's fine. Winners this week include – more big breath. Mauricio Shimura in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Pinhead Amy in San Francisco who admits to loving the pirate movie. Gary and Gilroy, who just celebrated his 47th birthday by taking his 15-year-old son to his first concert. Yes, it was the Rush 40th anniversary tour. Woo-hoo. Anonymous Dave, John and Phoenix, Kurt, a.k.a. Nick, Goose Bradshaw, Gabriel going under, Daigle, Charles from Yorktown, Dr. Dim, Colin in Spokane, Jeff in Chester, and Marlon from Fort Worth. And let's find out who won the uh, bottle opener. Spinning sound, please. That's pretty good. It's Amy in San Francisco. How about that? One of the two uh, females who got it right. The other one, by the way, was Carol Jansen. Forgot to put her name down. Uh, Uh, Amy, send us your snail mail address, and Brad will send you a bottle opener. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's our clip for this week. If you know it, email us at sitas at gmail.com or stevenies or bradneys at gmail.com. And tune in next week to find out if you are a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I can go any faster than that. You're doing good, man. You're tearing it up. Time standstill. Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool in the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, you can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016, for the most gnarly vacation ever. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 
and we're back. We have a few minutes left in the podcast. Uh, we wanted to answer a couple nagging questions that we've kind of been leaving out there in the uh, interwebs. The first one about is about, about Buckaroo Banzai, right? About Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get know. to those after the sign out. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll Did wait. you know that uh, John Cusack was actually the first pick to play Buckaroo Banzai? What? It's not true. I just thought I wanted to see if I could sell it to you. Uh, my 30th high school reunion was in July. It seems like it was so long ago. I've, we've, we forgot to tell people whether I went or not. I did not go. And how was it? I didn't go. Oh. Oh. It ended oh. up being, for a lot of reasons, one of which was it was a completely bad idea. It was, it was, a, <laughs> it was, a, it was a um, happy hour at a bar you know, near my old hometown. How is that a reunion? That's it's just not like a, a reunion. That's the whole, my whole point. It's like it's yeah. It's a waste of my. It's a waste of time. And I, I'm only like ninety minutes away, and it's still a waste of my time. But uh, the the weekend that it was supposed to ha- it was supposed to happen, we also were experiencing like monumental downpours here in Florida. It has been a very wet summer in Florida, and uh, there was flooding all around the area where the bar oh, was. So there was no way I was going to drive. 90 minutes over for happy hour and then, you know, lose my car in a... So who's the U-boat commander? Yeah, exactly. So no no, uh, no reunion for me. And I, from what I can tell, I didn't Did you miss... hear any stories? Yeah. No, I didn't miss a damn thing. Nobody I know went. It got hijacked by a bunch of people I don't know. And so I really, I could care less. And I will not, sh- I will not lose a second of sleep over not going. And that's probably why we've had like 10 chances to tell you I didn't go and why I never <laughs> felt the need to do it because it's like, it's not haunting me it in the least. It became a non-event. Yeah. It is a non-event. So, but Brad has better news. I have some news that is a little bit of an event. So last fall we interviewed uh, Kiva Rosenfeld who directed All American High and Steve and I had gotten a chance to see this uh, documentary he had done. I, was, I saw it oh, Yeah, well. that's true. Marty came along to see it. Uh, Marty came to the screening with me. That was really fun and, and remains the most Hollywood thing I've ever done in my life. But um, everybody would talk to me about it, would ask, well, where can I see this? And the answer was at this film festival that's, you know, wherever you are, it's probably 1,500 miles from there. But on September 15th, it's going to be available on iTunes, Amazon, uh, and I think Google Play, too. People actually use that. And I think you might actually even be able to buy a DVD. Uh, so in about two weeks, you'll be able to put your eyes on this. And I got to tell you, do it. You got to see this. It's It was so good. Yeah, it, it's transporting. Even though, you know, if you're not from Southern California, I'm not. Um, but it, it still puts you right back in that time. And yeah. and all the, the pettiness of being... Uh, teenager and all the weird things that you focus on and it's just it was amazing yeah so that's coming up in a couple weeks Excellent. well or by the time we get this out it'll be a week <laughs> or it will have been last week yeah sorry <laughs> hey steve did, yeah. did it make you did it make you cry no i don't think so oh. Oh. really oh my no. gosh that was a mess i think somewhere along the line since we've done our last uh, what makes Spearsy cry segment which by the way somebody said that was like their least favorite segment of the show ever <laughs> Why? Well, what what was the reasoning? Like they they felt like it was too uh, made you too emotionally available to the group. You know, I don't I don't even know that I, re- I even asked. I was just so perplexed by it. But that's fine. We don't we don't do it anymore anyway. So moot point. No, I didn't cry. I don't. I can't remember the last time I cried at a movie. Uh, maybe the well, Field of Dreams comes on. It's my father. Ease his pain. Distance. 
No, Ray. It was you. Anyway, we will do another version of Nerd Movies in the 80s. And so if you have um, suggestions on what we should cover, um, we've already mentioned Electric Dreams. Uh, Lucas is a possibility. Yeah. Um, uh, Three O'Clock High is a possibility. Oh, gosh. I forgot all about that. Can't Buy oh, Me Love. There was the sequel to Buckaroo Banzai. Um, <laughs> I believe um, that only existed in the title slate at the end of the movie. Didn't oh, it? that's so ballsy to be like, yeah. yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> so, so email us with your suggestions, and we'll see how many episodes we can string this out. As long as for. the World Prime League doesn't get in yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, we leave you uh, here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Ah, the misquirefane of readers mail. (laughs) (laughs) You had one job, Spearsy. (laughs) Ah, the misquirefane of readers mail. Bat reader. Why am I still doing that?